Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. This show is heard on WBCQ, The Planet, every Monday and Thursday evening, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also pick it up on our Podomatic page. Uh, as well as YouTube, but I'm pretty sure we'll be uploading these shows to uh, the Podomatic and YouTube pretty quickly. Um, this show is brought to you by Camp Constitution, which, among other things, runs a week-long family camp, and this year's camp will be held at the Singing Hills Christian Camp in beautiful Plainfield, New Hampshire, uh, from July 18th to the 23rd, and we have a great lineup for, of instructors, as we do every year, and this year we have some return instructors, including Reverend Stephen Pratt, and we have um, a new instructor, Pastor David Whitney of the, <coughs> of the Constitution, and uh, many others. So to learn more about that, please visit our website, www.campconstitution.net. Well, we're scheduled to do a, a short debate on the Article 5 Convention. This is the first time we actually had a debate format on this radio show. Uh, Max, can you hear me? Max Abrams? Yeah, I hear you. How you doing, Max? Can you hear me? Oh, I hear you just fine, thank you. Uh, Max is a New Hampshire state rep from the uh, Seabrook, uh, New Hampshire area. I think New Hampshire only has about, what, 20 miles of coastline. So, you, um, And Max is, um, what, uh, this is your um, second or third term? Uh, it's my third term, Max. Okay. Yeah, I'm in my third time. Uh, yeah, Max, uh, Max and I, I think we've shared the uh, podium at various events in New Hampshire. And uh, if I lived in Seabrook, I would no doubt vote for you. Uh, I think you're a very honorable man. And we're waiting for Rob Brown to call in. And uh, he is a uh, constitutional scholar, and he's the um, author of, um, oh, it's a constitutional study guide um, that he makes available. The Constitution is the solution, and if he doesn't get in, we'll wait a few more minutes. Um, hopefully, he, uh, he just texted me a few minutes ago, so he should be coming in soon. But anyway, uh, Max, why don't you just tell the listeners a little bit about your background before uh, before Robert comes on? Um, I was actually Merchant Mariner for a number of years until I suffered a back injury on the job, and I wasn't able to recover from that in a reasonable amount of time. So I uh, ended up switching careers. I went back to college and switched careers, got into software and road construction at the same time. Um, my first term, I was going to community college and I got an, a, an associate's degree while I was there um, and happened to be able to shift my, uh, community colleges are great for being able to shift your schedule around what you're doing legislatively. So I was able to do a term there and once I figured out how to kind of schedule my, um, you know, pick, kind of pick your committee, get something that's not too busy, you can uh, work and uh, at the same time uh, serve as a legislator. That's great. Because New Hampshire has 400 legislators. And none of, none of you guys are making a lot of money. You'll make, what, $100 a year plus travel expenses? $100 a year is big money in some countries. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. Zimbabwe. Hey, uh, Robert Brown just called in, and uh, let me just introduce Robert. Robert Brown is uh, living in Montana. We had been colleagues at one point, and uh, he is a constitutional scholar. He has been spending a lot of time uh, on this issue of the Article 5. He's been traveling around. Uh, he actually had been uh, before this uh, COVID lockdown, but I know he's a regular at state legislators uh, testifying against an Article 5. And uh, also an honorable man, and if Robert ever ran for office and I lived in Montana, I would gladly vote for him, as I would Max, even though we disagree on the Article 5. So I'm going to sort of just uh, be the moderator of, I think, people who listen to this show know my position on Article 5, that I'm not in favor of it, but I do have some friends that support one, and I respect their opinion, but I disagree with it. So let me start off by, uh, 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 Rob, I just want to welcome you, Robert. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on on somewhat short notice. Anyway, and Robert actually was in New Hampshire back in uh, January of 17, giving some presentations, as well as Maine, and those are on our YouTube channel, Camp Constitution. So um, so anyway, Max, you uh, recently sponsored a couple of resolutions, uh, uh, calling for an Article 5. Can you give uh, the listeners why you support one? Oh, actually, first, let's back up. For the sake of the listeners who may not know what an Article 5 is, Article 5 Convention, there are two ways to amend the Constitution, and Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution explains that. The first way is where two-thirds of both the U.S. House and Senate approve of an amendment, and then the amendment goes to ratification by the states uh, either through the state legislators or a state ratifying convention, and it, you need uh, three-fourths of the state's uh, legislators. Uh, and the second way that we've never used this way before is where two-thirds of the states apply for an application uh, for an Article 5 convention, and when they get that to, to, to a threshold, Congress is supposed to call for a convention. Those are the two ways. So, Max, why do you think it? By the way, I think that we all agree that this country is in a mess. The federal government definitely is a problem, and more so now since uh, the current president of the White House was inaugurated. So, Max, why do you think an Article 5 convention is the way to go? Um, so, essentially, the, the question that's actually in front of the New Hampshire State Legislature right now, or at least the New Hampshire State House, um, is in theory, of course, it's um, calling for a convention for proposing amendments. And that's kind of the saber rattle. The, the reality is that there have been 600 applications. Um, and what, what actually ends up happening, I think this was Madison's genius, was that the state legislatures would kind of threaten the Congress. If you don't come up with something, uh, then we'll do it ourselves through a, a convention of the states, where each of the states would send probably one or perhaps or five delegates apiece, um, what uh, James Madison called deputies in the uh, uh, Virginia proclamation or the Virginia application, which we got the Bill of Rights from. And the, um, <clears throat> sorry, the, uh, got somebody, somebody having a conversation next door. Um, uh, what you're doing is kind of threatening Congress. You're saying, you know, do this or we'll do it. You amend the, you propose an amendment or will propose an amendment. And uh, there was a discussion in the 1790s in Congress 
in committee and the committee chair said, no, we have absolutely no say if it ever gets up to two thirds of the state legislatures. So ever since that conversation, Congress has always said, well, you know, they're getting to 17 states or 20 or 22 states, they'll eventually get to 30, 34 states and call a convention. So we don't want that. So we'll write it ourselves. And um, 33 times Congress has responded to these calls out of 600 applications total. Uh, 33 times they've responded and they've decided to just write the language themselves and send it down. Now, strangely, people are more concerned about, a, some people are more concerned about a convention of the states than they are about Congress writing it. I'm more concerned about Congress writing it, especially if it's a term limits amendment because they fill it so full of loopholes you could get uh, a whole political party through there. Uh, most of the members of Congress have been in there for 10, 20 years or more, um, and some have been in there for over 40 years. And it really is the guys who've been in there for 30, 40, 50 years who are the party leadership of the two parties and they really call the shots and, and, and control the junior members and how they vote. And unfortunately, that's what happened with, uh, with this uh, proposed uh, term limits amendment is that the senior guys who've been in there for 17, 18 years kind of bullied the junior members, the freshmen, into voting against it using a lot of the uh, scare tactics. The enforcement mechanism, though, ultimately is that 38 states, either through state legislatures or through state ratifying conventions, where you vote for delegates who are confirmed either for or against, 38 states have to confirm it. And that's really the enforcement mechanism at the end of the day. So if Congress sent a terrible amendment down that could potentially uh, threaten the Bill of Rights or the 13th, 14th, or 15th Amendment, uh, you know, we have state ratifying conventions where either our state legislatures or through state ratifying conventions, we could stop anything really terrible from being ratified. That doesn't mean that Congress follows the Constitution. They don't. Or even that some of the, the judges follow the Constitution. They don't. The U.S. Supreme Court isn't really upholding the Constitution. Um, the only thing that really holds up are the structural parts, the separate uh, branches and when they meet and when they get elected. Um, otherwise, we really have very little control over this monstrosity. Okay, Robert, um, can you uh, give us your reasons why in Article 5? Or maybe you can, you can rebut some of the things that Max had just said. And certainly, I, I don't disagree with a lot of his concerns there that uh, absolutely Congress and the courts and the executive branch really only pay attention to the Constitution when it's convenient or when it's just a basic procedural, like how many members of Congress and when they're elected and how and that kind of stuff but the actual limits of power are blatantly ignored. And he, he talked about a few different things here, such as this could be a, a saber rattling, a threatening to Congress, and then the, the, uh, the ultimate enforcement, or as some put it, the safety against that amendment is the 38 states. Just kind of review some of the points he's made there. And on that, that that's one of the points where I do have a big concern. And, and actually, I'll, I'll express two. Number one is that in the United States, the main reason why our elected officials don't follow the Constitution is they don't know the Constitution, their constituents don't know the Constitution, enough to point out when it's being violated. We generally have an understanding that there is a Constitution and it has, in, in the public, some general ideas. But even naming the, uh, the five rights that are protected in, in the uh, First Amendment, for example, very, very small percentage of the population could name all five. As just a simple example, constitutional ignorance is rampant. And so as we see different amendment proposals and how they're written, how they're structured, 
most amendment proposals out there that I've seen circulating would do damage to the Constitution and to the liberties it was designed to protect. A great example of this is in 2016 where the organization Convention of States Project held their convention simulation. They came up with six amendment proposals, and mind you, they had a 96% Republican representation. It was kind of a, a skewed, hand-picked group. But the, the amendment proposals they came up with were really scary to someone who really understands the Constitution and understands the, impl the implications that these amendments would have. For example, one of them says it refers to federal law passed by Congress, the president, or the administrative agency. Now, how I know you know very well that that would be a direct uh, overturning of Article I, Section 1 of the Constitution, that only Congress has the power in the Constitution to create law. If you have an amendment that's referring to the president creating federal law or the administrative agencies, you just granted some massive power to a branch that was never designed to be a legislative branch. And so these are the kinds of things that I'm seeing in a day of constitutional ignorance Opening up the Constitution to changes really should terrify anyone that, that uh, wants to preserve and protect the limited power concept the Constitution was designed with. Now, the 38-state ratification concept, uh, it, we've seen some bad amendments get past that. I point to the 16th and 17th as key ones. But in addition to that, as we think back to 1787, when the Constitution itself was written, they had a ratification protection in there as well. It was much higher bar than our current one. All 13 state legislatures had to approve, and Congress had to approve, any changes to the Articles of Confederation. And as you well know, the 1787 Convention simply discarded that rule and created a new one, a much lower bar, which became retroactively in place without any approval of the state. They just, here's our new constitution, and Article 7 defines how it will be ratified. And so when people point to they have to follow the current ratification procedure, my answer to that is, yeah, yeah, unless the convention decides to come up with their own. So that final safety has been, has been uh, breached a few times. And in my case, I, I don't think it's even going to be there if we have a convention. They'll look to what 1787 convention did. And if, if what they did in 1787 was valid, it would be valid to do it again today. So, Robert, what you're saying is that it's possible that the uh, delegates to this convention can uh, lower the bar if they say that you need um, three-fourths of the states to pass it. You're saying that they could say, that's okay, we're going we're gonna to change that to a simple majority. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, that's the proposal that one constitutional uh, law professor has been promoting. He's very liberal. He feels like we really should have a convention. We need to reconsider the entire Constitution, and then it should go out for ratification by a simple majority vote of the American people themselves, which really mirrors a lot of what the 1787 Convention did. They felt they were turning it over to the people themselves to ratify by doing the special ratification conventions in each state. And some states, like Rhode Island, did put it out to every voter. Every voter had the option to vote for this new Constitution in, in Rhode Island. So this, these ideas are Sorry, not me, heard uh, of. Go ahead. Let, let me, let me uh, yeah, I want to ask a question. Uh, first, I'll start with Max. And, of course, both sides of this issue go over some of the, the writings of the founders who wrote the Article 5 Convention. So, Max, 
give us your thoughts on the the folks who wrote the what was the purpose of the Article Five Convention? Uh, well, I wonder if I could quickly rebut some of the things that Robert said. Um, sure. He did bring up the simulated convention, and they passed amendments, but yes, they they merely proposed amendments relating to six topics, including requiring the states to approve any increase in the national debt, which is something I agree with, imposing term limits, which I definitely agree with, uh, restricting the scope of the Commerce Clause, limiting the power of federal regulations, something I also agree with, I think most people do, requiring a supermajority to impose federal taxes and repealing the 16th Amendment, which I think every taxpayer would probably agree with, and giving the states the power to abrogate any federal law, regulation, or executive order. You and I know that there are executive orders coming out now. Uh, uh, strangely, some executive orders have come out when you've had presidents in the hospital and they still get written and they still get signed uh, while the president of the United States is unconscious. Uh, so how that happens, uh, I don't know. I think they've even come out in some cases while they're, while they're going through the uh, um, inauguration process. Um, as far as the 1787 uh, uh, Philadelphia Constitutional Convention, that was an actual constitutional convention, but it was called as such. Ten out of, t of the twelve delegates. Remember the Annapolis Convention, there had been several uh, conventions of the states to propose changes to the Articles of Confederation. And so if you understand the backdrop, in those days um, they were having conventions of the states, in some cases they had two in one year. They're, they were fairly common and they would propose amendments um, and nothing was working, and so only at Annapolis, only the New Jersey delegates were given the authority by their state legislature to go outside of those bounds. So they went back to their, realized Annapolis wasn't accomplishing anything, so they went back to their state legislatures, which had sovereign power and still do. And in theory, uh, state legislatures could in theory hold a, a, a constitutional convention outside of Article 5, but it would require unanimous ratification of all 50 states, which would be, of course, uh, impossible. And the, this, the, the argument that the convention of the states or convention for proposing amendments could do anything other than propose amendments, um, I think is, is ridiculous. I've looked at some of the, 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 the case law that the U.S. Supreme Court has had on uh, state ratification and whatnot, and, and, and they really kind of expect the states to really stay on the ball and, and follow the rules, even to the point where one state, the lieutenant governor, cast a tie-winning vote to ratify uh, uh, a proposed constitutional uh, amendment, and that was scrutinized up the yin-yang, just that one vote. But a, an actual constitutional convention, um, even in those days, had to be unanimous, all 13 states. Madison argued that, that it was ridiculous to follow that. He argued it in Federalist Paper number 40, um, that it didn't need to be ratified by all 13 states. It only needed to be ratified by three-quarters of the states. Um, so how Article 5 came about, um, Article 5 came about literally almost at the last minute, two days before the Constitution, the proposed Constitution, they started, you know, making copies, handwriting copies, and then sending them off to the state legislatures uh, to be considered, um, and, the, and the, the toughest states were states like New York, it would be strange today to consider New York uh, state politics opposing something, but the, it was a big state. And it was, New York and Virginia were the, were the, were the toughest nuts to crack. Um, so they came up with many, many Federalist papers that were written to the public and to legislatures to explain 
all the reasoning behind this. And it was two days before, I think it was George Mason came forward and he said, yeah, Congress can propose constitutional amendments, but the states cannot, state legislatures cannot. So James Madison himself took Article 5 and where there was a period, he put in a comma and then he proposed the Convention of the States proposal, the Convention of the States approach where two thirds of the state legislatures could simply propose a constitutional amendment just in case Congress itself somehow got out of control. Um, and not only did no one object, this was a, a compilation of the, the, the brightest historical minds, historians, legislators, lawmakers, economists, some of the most brilliant men who've ever been assembled in a single room at that 1787 Constitutional Convention. It wasn't a single objection. There was no argument against it. No one saw a single problem with it. And they presumed that that uh, any Article 5 convention was going to continue to follow past practice and that ratification, of course, would still be by three quarters of the state legislatures. That again was debated um, in, or discussed in Congress, and they they agreed that if the two thirds of the state legislatures ever did um, call for a convention proposing amendments, that Congress's only role was essentially uh, kind of choosing the location or or choosing the date or location for the actual event. That they really had it's really a, a choice by the state legislatures to bypass Congress, which is really the kind of the purpose of the second part of Article Five. Robert, uh, your, your rebuttal here? Oh, absolutely. First of all, I, I note that he's trying to make a distinction between different types of constitutional conventions. And in legal terms, the term constitutional convention applies to a wide range of things. It could be a state constitutional convention to make amendments or to even write a new, convention, uh, write a new constitution. The, the legal definition also applies to, what's that? You mean yeah. a state constitution? Yeah, sorry, the state constitution, of course. So that's a constitutional convention. Montana had one back in 72, created a new constitution, completely rewrote the, the entire document. But it also could be an, a convention for proposing amendments to the constitution, whether state or national. Most law dictionaries even use the Article 5 convention as the example of the term of constitutional convention. So we're making a distinction without any, any real difference here. The term applies across the board. But more importantly, uh, the historical precedent for a national amending constitution, excuse me, a national convention for amending the national constitution, there is only one, that is the 1787 convention. And one of the points that I think is very important is the question of their authority came up repeatedly in that convention and afterwards in the state ratifying convention. And there were, of course, as, as in most cases, there were two sides to the argument. There were people like uh, William Patterson, uh, Patrick Henry, John Lansing, uh, Robert Whitehill, who all said that the convention did not have the authority in their state delegated commissions to be cr creating a new constitution. The other side of the argument was people like Edmund Randolph, Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, George Mason. They all took the position that, you're right, we probably don't have the authority but we need to do it anyway. Urgency dictates that we meet, need to proceed uh, without, as, as was um, William Patterson's suggestion, he said we need to shut down the convention, go home to our state, get the proper authority before proceeding, lest we are charged with usurpation. And the other side of the ar argument was 
we don't have time to do, do that. We need to propose what we need to propose. There was no delegate in the 1787 convention who stood up and said, wait a minute, why are we arguing about this? We have the authority. Look at our, our, our commissions from the state. They gave us full authority to write a new constitution. Not a single delegate made that argument. Yes, that argument's made pretty commonly today by those pushing for a convention, but it's historical revisionism. There is no basis saying that any delegate felt that way. They all recognize what we're doing is pushing the bounds of our delegate commission at what we could today call a runaway convention. The closest we come to anyone making any kind of an argument saying they stayed within their, their commissions is Madison in Federalist 40. But if you look at what he says as justification, this is not a justification you'd want to be using today for a limited convention. Things like, can you really say we've replaced the entire Constitution if even one element of the old one remains? That's part of his, his rationale for, we didn't really write a completely new Constitution. We retained a couple things here and there. Uh, uh, and probably the ultimate argument he makes in Federalist 40 is to have too rigid adherence to the state commissions would render nugatory the right of the people to alter or abolish their governments. That was his ultimate argument for we stayed within what we're supposed to do. Okay, maybe we didn't strictly adhere to the delegate commissions, but we have this right of the people. And in fact, during the convention itself, the way this was ultimately resolved, because there was a lot of hesitancy, do we really have the authority to go forward? Madison declared in the convention, the people were in fact the fountain of all power. And by resorting to them, by changing the ratification process, by resorting to them, all difficulties were got over. They could alter constitutions as they pleased. That was what made the delegates feel like, yes, we can move forward. Let's change the ratification put it out to the people themselves because they're the highest authority, and then we can alter constitutions as we please. We can do whatever we want. That's the precedent that the 1787 convention gave us, was that the convention had the authority to bypass, to ignore their limits given to them by the states because they appealed to the higher power of the people themselves. And historically, ever since then, in state constitutional conventions, that precedent has been upheld. In fact, you look at Corpus Juris Secundum, which is a, a compilation of really the various state case, cases in legality all across the country. And on this issue, on whether or not the state legislatures have any authority to limit their delegates, says the members of a constitutional convention are the direct representatives of the people. And as such, their power may not in any respect be limited or restrained by the legislature. That's the historical precedent, and we have case after case after case I could, I could share with you of where that exact question has come up in state conventions, and they continually point back to, here's what happened in 1787, the convention delegates representing the people, as they declared, rather than the state legislatures. Therefore, they could not be restrained by the, any efforts by the state legislatures. So we have some serious historical precedent and then legal precedent that is being swept under the rug by those that are leading this movement for an Article 5 convention. They don't want to admit what really happened in 1787, but there wasn't a single delegate who claimed we actually have full authority. We'll never concede any ground on. What was that? Sorry, I'm trying to um, play a uh, video here. Oh, sure. 
in topic. And, and, that, and that, that's an important point. They, they will never concede that point, that there was not a single delegate. And so this, as I've traveled around, even lately, I've gone to a number of state legislative hearings, and I continually issue this one call. Show me the delegate. Show me the delegate in 1787 who rose and claimed we're acting within our authority. Because there were two sides, those that said we don't have the authority and we shouldn't proceed, those who said you're right, we don't have the authority, we need to do it anyway, but there was not a single delegate who said we had the authority. Anyone making that claim today is at odds with the founders themselves. That Mark Meckler loves to try to attack anyone that says that. They're, they're slandering the good character of our founding fathers, which is absurd. I'm taking them at their word. I'm taking, taking the word of for example, George Mason, he says that uh, ordinary cautions yielded to public necessities. Madison refers to it was therefore essential that such changes be instituted by some informal and unauthorized propositions. And, and on and on. I mean, it, the, I, I could bore you with examples of this. What I can't find... Right, we only have, we have about three minutes. I know it's uh, not long okay. debate. Let's address. Well, I think I've hammered uh, this point pretty well. Out. Yeah, uh, about a minute, minute and a half, Max. Uh, address the notion of uh, a, run, a modern runaway convention. That's that's a claim that some make, and so I'd like you to address that. Why you don't think that would happen? So obviously, the uh, 1787 convention was wasn't an Article Five convention. It was held under the sovereign authority of the states, which the states in theory could do today, bypassing the Constitution completely. But James Madison said, in, remember, Federalist 40, the whole statement is, the powers of the convention ought to be in strictness to be determined by the inspection of the commissions given the members of their respective constituents, which they followed. I followed all four uh, calls. Only 10 of the 12 uh, states, state legislatures, allowed them to do so. Charles Pickney showed up with a complete Constitution in hand so at least some of them thought that they had the right to uh, further expand what uh, a federal government was allowed to do. Um, 10 out of 12 state legislatures were allowed this, but as far as a runaway convention today, there, there have been 200 constitutional conventions at the state level. Those aren't Article 5 either. They haven't had the same problems. Almost 200 conventions of the states, including the 130 or so of the Uniform Law Commission, which meets in Chicago every year, um, and they they follow their, their commission, and there have been uh, dozens and dozens of conventions of the states, some just a handful. They follow their uh, commissions in the 1861 uh, uh, Washington Peace Accord, uh, ordered by the state of Virginia to try to prevent the Civil War. They follow their, um, uh, their accord. We have literally millions of meetings around the country every single year, and Americans generally when they're not career politicians and they're not opportunists trying to expand their own uh, personal benefit like Congress or some uh, long-term incumbents in our legislatures, when they're just kind of there one off for one meeting to get something done, uh, the vast majority of people are just there to accomplish what they're sent there to accomplish. And when we look at state ratifying conventions, for example, the, for the repealing the, the passing the 21st Amendment, they just showed up and did the job. Uh, uh, Robert, uh, we got about a minute left. Can you, uh, can you uh, refute that if you can in a minute? Oh, certainly, certainly. Uh, one of the problems when they start listing all these different conventions is they ignore. I, I've got a list of about 30 different state conventions that have run away. There was one back in, in Pennsylvania, oh, I forget the year exactly, that was a state that was convention for creating a new constitution. 
1840? Yeah. Yeah, there and, was one in that one, they, they ran away. They uh, created a completely new constitution outside the scope of what they're called to do. The people ratified it before the state Supreme Court had a chance to rule on it. And by that point, the state Supreme Court said, yes, it was a runaway convention, but it's kind of a moot point because now the people have ratified it. I mean, there, there are so many historical examples of runaway conventions. Anyone says there's never been one is ignoring history. The 1787. We've got to wrap it up. Uh, we we got to wrap it up for the sake of time. So, Max, if people are interested in uh, getting a hold of you, how can they do that? If you're on uh, Facebook, it's just Representative Max Abramson. Um, if you um, have a web browser, it's just maxabramson.org, and I'll be putting the updates uh, on both of those. And, Robert, how about you? How people can get a hold of you if they'd like to get more information? Probably the easiest way is just on Facebook, Robert Brown JBS is the easiest way to find me Okay. There. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, and uh, thank you folks for listening. You've been listening to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff, and until next week, may God richly bless you. Thank you, you guys. Thank you. Thank you.